Welcome back to Sneaker Dads. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's an honor to have you again and uh, listeners from your free previous uh, two-part episode from, it was back in May 2021, seems like time, uh, I don't know where time's going these days, it was episode 35 and 36 that <laughs> people are looking for it. That's crazy, uh, that's, that's <laughs> almost a year and a half ago, that's yeah. crazy, yo. Yeah, you know. No, actually, that is a year and a half ago, that almost, that, you, know, you know. We're but, in November now, so that's a yeah. blessing, man, that, you know, we all still here, could talk about sneakers and being pet, being being pads dads yeah sometimes we are that pads we just get walked <laughs> on you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it's funny listeners won't know but we were both uh getting our respective families situated our sons particularly getting them uh fed and things like that because it's the early no evening on the east coast um no maybe doubt. we'll talk a little bit about parenting in a bit but listeners to those previous episodes know a little bit about your stash and if they follow you on Instagram, they know you got a couple new pairs in. But I'll let you tell us what's on feet these days. <laughs> what are you wearing? What do you wear these days? Well, um, I had the I'm gonna say this in a positive way. I had the great fortune of letting go of all my sneakers in June. I just really felt that it was time to part ways and to uh give them a new home. Um, I was in the middle of moving. And, uh, you know, it was like, um, it was like a, uh, a triple victory in that, you know, I was able to, um, you know, clear, clear my space, you know, and make the move easier. Not that I had like a, a ton of joints. I mean, I had like maybe 40 pairs. Um, and, uh, but also I, I think it, it was kind of like, it was a nice moment for me in terms of my history of being a, a personality in this sneaker space. And that I really felt like I had done so much for the culture, you know, over decades, right? And the sneakers that I had, some of which had contributed to uh, my book, Where'd You Get Those? New York Sneaker, uh, New York City Sneaker Culture, 1960-1987, which was released in 2003. I got the 20th anniversary coming up in 2023, which is crazy to think about. Um, but also, you know, some of the sneakers I owned had been lent to various cultural institutions, uh, Brooklyn Museum, Oakland Museum, Atlanta Museum, uh, Bada Shoe Museum in Toronto. Um, you know, I had been lent to various brands. I mean, Nike did a, a whole wall um, that I curated at their House of Hoops in, in Harlem on 125th Street. Uh, more recently, uh, 21 Mercer uh, did a uh, uh, an exhibition that I helped curate as well with some of my archives and um so you know it was kind of like all right you know i've done what i can with these sneakers and of course i can continue to hold on to them but i think it's time to let them go um let them find a new home and invite uh invite new new footwear into the home and you know and run with those and, and be happy with what i have instead of being sad with what, what i don't have I, I had some nostalgic moments <laughs> you know uh cataloging them and being like oh my god i remember when i got these i remember when i wore these and i remember how people reacted to seeing them and stuff but right now i currently have seven pairs of sneakers and uh you know i deliberately held on to five pairs that uh i had back in june before letting them all go and uh each had a purpose you know one was the chuck taylor and i was like yo like i want to be wearing chuck taylor when i when I'm in my seventies, you know, <laughs> so I was like, I kept the looks of Chuck Taylor. I kept the Converse Pro BB from 2019, 
um, because it's it's a phenomenal performance shoe for when I'm playing ball. I actually have them on right now for this podcast. Um, I kept the Nike Blazer reissue. Um, I bought those from the Foot Lock on 34th Street when I was en route to an interview one day uh, about three years ago. And I was like, yo, I haven't worn a new sneakers in a while long. I just wanted something fresh. And I love the, the Blazers because they hold a special place in my heart and that they're the first pair of hand-me-downs I was ever given by my older brother, Ray. Now, if you read my book, where'd you get those? You remember, it's my oldest brother who sort of holds my hand into this crazy world. And then I splashed because, you know, at the time in the late 70s, nobody in our in our block or our neighborhood was wearing Nikes, you know, and he had the Blazers and he was the first. And then, you know, he passed them on to me. It was like 79. They didn't fit. Anyway, so the Nike Blazers have like a, a special place in my heart. So I held on to the reissue. I don't have the ones that I had in the 70s. Um, I held on to the Converse Dr. J Pro Leathers. Those have a special place in my heart in terms of like the beginnings of those are reissues as well. Um, what else did I keep? Uh, and then I kept my, my Kyrie's, my Kyrie 5 low cuts that I, I did an ID for because um, I love playing ball in those. And then just recently this week, I did, um, I've been on a tear uh, doing like sneaker and basketball related appearances um, this year, which I'm really grateful for since I've been laying low during the pandemic. But um Essentially, I just did the uh, the Nike sneakers app, um, 40th anniversary uh, of the Air Force One live, where I was uh, asked to recount my personal history and the history of the, of the model um, in front of like 7,000 people live on the app in the audience, which was great. I had a blast doing that. Um, so, you know, I told them, I was like, look, if I'm going to do this for you, like, I need some product, you know, because <laughs> like... It's been a minute since they sent me anything. And um, so I made a specific request. I asked for the uh, Waffle One, um, which looks like so comfortable. Uh, and then I asked for the uh, the Cosmic Unity Two, uh, which is an earth-friendly shoe. You know, I'm happy that the brand is moving towards uh, sustainable materials and, and being, um, you know, conscious of the environment. So um, yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, that's what I've been wearing literally like this week i would have put on the cosmic unity twos for this interview um but they're hot right now i just finished playing ball about an hour ago <laughs> which is why i was on a, i was on a scramble to be ready for the interview um but yeah they're, they're great shoe to play ball and um i think they're a little long unless i'm i am getting shorter in my older age uh but i i I asked for a size 11 and there's a little bit of too much space in my, in my toe cut. Um, but it's fine. Whatever. I can always wear two pairs of socks, but yeah, they're really comfortable. They look cool. Um, so I'm happy. I'm happy with the cosmic unity. I can't say unity without saying unity. Cause <laughs> do you remember the Dave Chappelle, uh, second season? Yeah. <laughs> I know what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you about good. the, um, what you were on court so you answered that question but i also wanted to talk more about the af1 because the anniversary and, and hopefully people saw or get a chance to see what you said on um on uh, the nike's platform but can you talk a little bit about its importance then and now you, you did on uh, the first time you appeared on sneaker dads but given that we're you know the brand is focusing on um it and it's so important to you how how big it was back in the day and uh its role now at least from your yeah. perspective 
I think I can't really state what its role now is because it's so beyond a basketball shoe and it's always going to be a ball shoe for me, even though I don't play ball in them anymore. But it's it's hard to understand unless you were alive in 1983 what the Air Force One meant to our community. It was leaps and bounds. Like, you know, I can jump maybe if I did a long jump, maybe I'd jump like, you know, from, you know, the end line to maybe like eight feet. Like the Air Force One was like jumping from the end line and then like you actually landed in California from New York. <laughs> it was like, I mean, you know, just having air, even if we didn't believe that it actually had air inside the midsole because it wasn't visible air that came later um, in basketball, in the basketball category at least. Uh, I mean, it, it just, the midsole was so much thick, more thicker than anything that it had existed prior um and what it did for us mentally like you know there was a lot of dudes that, i mean i'm a i'm a asphalt warrior for life and that's how i wasn't as a, as a kid too sure i snuck in the gyms and i like to play on the hardwood but my my goal was to play ball no matter what and most of the times you know that meant being outdoors because you know you can only go into a gym on certain hours you know um and having a midsole that thick and that comfortable, just, you know, we were like, oh, we just saved our knees. I mean, I grew up with so many dudes that had knee issues. So many, I mean, think about it. They were playing at Chuck Taylors and Pro Kid 69ers, you know, for decades, you know? And then like, you know, technology starts improving and okay, the midsole is a little bit better as cushion and terry cloth liner and, you know, it's a little small things, but it's like, okay, now the Air Force One comes along. And then the, the leather was more supple and thicker as well. So you have improved lateral support, you have improved breathability, you have improved ankle support, you have improved uh, jumping ability. I mean, it's just like top to bottom, it was sick, bro. That's why the Air Force One became what it did because technologically it was night and day. Now, I'm going to keep it 100, 100 with the Sneaker Dads podcast. Nike says that the shoe came out in 1982. Maybe it came out of California and Oregon. I didn't see it in New York and Philadelphia until 1983. And I would love for someone to prove me wrong. Um, but, you know, uh, New York and Philadelphia are, you know, pivotal cities for that shoe. And so, you know, I'm not. I'm not uh, contesting with Nike that the shoe came out at 82 and I'm not trying to nerd out about it. But, you know, when you read my book, uh, where'd you get those New York City Sneaker Culture 1960 to 1987? Like, I basically date the shoe to fall 1983. That's when I first saw it at the Galleria Mall on the second or third floor. Um, and I thought it was a hiking boot. And so it was crazy when I was watching the, um, when I was part of the, the 40th anniversary Nike, uh, sneakers at uh live where this dude from the archives is talking about how the hiking boot was a um an inspiration for the designers like i didn't know that at the time and i was like yeah that makes all the sense of the world because that's what i thought i was like this doesn't look like a ball shoe <laughs> you know well that brings up 
what I was going to ask you next. When did you see it? Off I keep court? on anticipating your question. <laughs> I mean, it was obviously a performance thing for everyone. You know, the brand was going to going to teams and handing it out, and and you guys were getting on court, and and everyone, every baller wanted it. But when do you remember, or when did it become? Was it right away that people were rocking it? No, on the no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It didn't have immediate crossover into hip hop or street culture or lifestyle at all. Um, you know, I think um, it, it had such a short-lived period as a ball player's shoe, and then it, they just stopped making them. So didn't really have time to breathe. You know, I can't tell you anyone. You know, Rocksteady Crew, or if you look at like hip hop artists from 83, 84, none of them are wearing the Air Force Ones. And if they were, please present a photo. Because in all my research and in all my memory, none of them were wearing the Air Force One. Now, now the Rocksteady Crew did wear a, uh, a takeoff, a takedown of the Air Force One. It was the, uh, what was it called? The Vandal, um, which was kind of like a nylon. Uh, mesh. I don't know that it had air in the midsole, but it, you know, it was basically the Air Force One design, and and you know they took to it, and they rocked it at a couple of shows, but that wasn't that didn't have the the, the impact of them wearing Adidas shell toes and Puma Clydes and the uh, the Nike running shoes, um, you know that that the world over started wearing because of Rocksteady. You know, when Rocksteady wore the Vandals, it didn't, it didn't like hit a ripple effect at all. You know, to my recollection, the Air Force One starts getting the attention of hip hop heads and, and street wearers, you know, drug dealers on the corner, Harlem or all that in like 86, 87, you know, and it's because of the ball community. Like we made it cool. We exalted it. And that's what sent the message they saw us wearing it and you know and again like you know history like pluto is a planet until someone says no it's not a planet you know it's uh <laughs> you know it, it, it's a it's a micro planet whatever you know um until somebody proves me wrong then cool I, i'll accept it but to my recollection and to my research and to my you know my travels through Harlem and the Bronx and Brooklyn looking for sneakers and Philadelphia, like, nah, you know. Cool. I want to get back to then and some some now, but I also want to talk about what you're doing, a recent project. As a lead into that, I have to ask, what's your son rocking? You gave us an update last time about you doing the same thing <laughs> I do with my son. You know, my, my son got a pair of, you know, uh, pull tab, ch cheap Nikes, kind of sl slip on like a like a Harachi thing for school because you know they got to wear the mm -hmm. indoor school. And, and I said, no, this is for after Christmas, New Year. You're going to grow a little <laughs> bit. And he said, Dad, I need to run. I said, Where are you going to run? It's winter. You're going to be wearing <laughs> boots, or you're going to be wearing. Yeah, yeah. And he wanted to. I said, Wear these. And you had that uh -huh. same thing, you know, son. You gotta you gotta keep these. You don't need too many. So so yeah. where are you? Where is he now? Yeah, I mean, you know, we uh. We're trying to raise them to not be um, overly concerned about consumerism um, and to uh, recognize what are wants and what are needs. He's heavy into technology, you know, um, and, you know, to, 
that's what's most important to him. You know, having the latest learning apps and um, and being cutting edge in that in that uh, field. Um, but when it comes to sneakers, like he don't, he's not like you know, Baba. Like you know, I see everybody wearing these. I want, I want them. Plus, we're you know, we're unschooling him. He's not in a classroom with twenty nine uh, classmates. You know giving him pressure, like, oh, you ain't got, you know, you whack, you don't have these, like, he's not in that space, you know, so um, my boy from Under Armour blessed me about three years ago with a gang of shoes for my son, um, and so he's been wearing, like, the Currys for, like, a good, you know, two years. He had a pair that we've had on ice now that he, I told him for his birthday coming up uh, in November that he could finally wear the size two uh curries but he had the um the the what was it the sour grape or the um the the no the patch sour patch something um curries uh and um yeah and he's happy you know what I'm saying like he, he rocked those I mean he don't rock them you know what I'm saying he, he he don't know nothing about it. he don't get dipped up you know what I'm saying like he just yep. goes to the playground gets some dirty like he don't know nothing about you know that that culture and that's fine with me, you know what I'm saying? Like, so he lit, you know, so long as he's happy, he don't got to play ball, you know, he don't have to follow my footsteps. If, if he's, you know, secure in who he is and, 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 you know, yearning for knowledge and his interest, then I'm happy. So, yeah. And perfect time to talk about your new book, Aim High Little Giant. I want to know, um, it's coming out November, so people keep an eye out. Did your family experience, I think I know the answer, because uh-huh. I've got a peek at it, or how did it help inspire and shape shape the book, your your personal experience? I mean, 100%, the, 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 the narrative is shaped by real-life experiences, but that said, you know, it was liberating to finally write fiction. My whole life has been about keep it real, keep it real. You know, I came up, as a public figure in the nineties, when it was like, you know, represent and keep it real could be like the two catchphrases that summarize the entire decade, you know? Um, and then I became a filmmaker the last decade and, you know, just documenting history and culture and movements and basketball, sneakers, hip hop. And, you know, and then it's like, all right, let me challenge myself and flip it, you know, write something that's not real. And I could have fun and change names and create composite characters out of three people into one. And, you know, but I do want to have it. I didn't want to write something abstract, you know, it's for children. Um, and it was for myself too, you know. So, yeah, it's based on some real life experiences, but, you know, I took a lot of liberty with the, um, with the timeline and with uh, the circumstances and with, uh, what happens and i'm super proud of the book i can't wait for people to read it it's titled aim high little giant aim high um the website is aim high little giant.com uh it is being released by we are little giants uh which is a dope clothing brand independent um and uh proud to share that the nba is an official marketing partner they'll have it on their online shop as well as the uh arenas and their um you know there's stores around the world so you know the book has a lot of potential and i'm i'm really excited to see where it goes um 
And, you know, the response so far has been nutty. You know, there's a coach in Queens that ordered 75 copies for her girls. Um, And then there was a school in the Bronx that ordered 100 copies for their students. And, you know, they haven't even read the book yet. You know, it's just based on the trust of my legacy. And, you know, we've put like four spreads on aimhighlittlegiant.com so people can get a taste of the illustrations and the, you know, the words. And uh, just based on those little hints, you know, people are like responding incredibly well to it. So, yeah. I'm excited for you. And like I said, I got a sneak peek in it. And it it hit personally for me, I think everyone, whether you have kids or not, the pandemic <laughs> put mindfulness uh, front and center. And it's, you know, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a catchphrase now or a popular term. And, you know, some people might roll their eyes on it, but, um, you know, I've been doing some basketball coaching and, uh, you know, there's, there's the skills and then there's the listening and the being present and the respect and all those things that I think encompass mindfulness. And, um, you know, these kids uh, have been through a lot. We all have been, but uh, you know, sitting through practice and paying attention to their coach and their emotions and all these things. I mean, all these kids missed two years of normal yeah. life and they missed two years of basketball and they missed two years of being on a team or whatever, being in a class mm. or, or, or whatnot. So I wanted to talk quickly about mindfulness, how it's an important part of, you know, the message of the book. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, in recent times, you know, particularly with the Redeem Dream uh, Netflix documentary, like people are learning a lot about Kobe Bryant and, how mindful he was you know he wasn't just this amazing athlete he wasn't just this like top five ball player of all time the dude like really meditated really trained his mind to be the best you know and michael jordan um is right there in in the same ship with him you know and, and maybe jordan have maybe we didn't have the language in the 80s and 90s for Jordan's mindfulness, but clearly, like, he was thinking the game, you know? I I recently got an app called Calm for meditations, and boom, LeBron is on it, you know, talking about meditation, you know? So, you know, and that's, it's not just basketball, like, we can go across any sport where, you know, you have athleticism, and then you have mentality, and, um, you know, it should be no different for a child who is trying to discern what's right and wrong or trying to navigate uh, educational quandaries or, you know, difficulties with the pandemic. And, you know, and uh, so I started um, doing uh, meditations at my basketball clinics successfully, like, you know, really like will create an amazing tone um and the kids got into it you know and so yeah i I, that's a real life experience that definitely was worked into the narrative of the book you know um 100 cool so i was saying i I really appreciate that part of the book and that's why i brought it up and i might uh borrow your uh your clinics basketball clinic (laughs) of course the kids want to get out there and play and 
and there's only a limited time of practice, but uh, like stretching, you know, it's like stretching the mind, right? And like yep, getting the, yep. so you don't get injured, or you know, maybe, yep. maybe that's the analogy I'll uh, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give them to uh, convince no them. And, and they do a little bit about uh, of that, I think sometimes at home, parents and at school or whatever else they're doing. Uh, so maybe in the end they'll be uh, they'll be better off <laughs> than we are learning it in uh, learning it in our later years because I I only start discover these things uh, later in life. But to lighten it up a little bit, I, I want to tell you about a story. I was listening to Quest Love's podcast and mm-hmm. DJ Clarkett was on. He was telling a story about his getting his own Nike and how they brought him in as a consultant, and you know he was helping them make Nike shoes, but he wanted to make his own shoe, right? He wanted to, he wanted something he could wear on feet. And Mm -hmm. he said, it's because he wanted to stunt on you. (laughs) That that was it. He said that on Questlove? He said that. He said that. That's hilarious. Um, uh, So great episode (laughs) of that podcast, but it brought up an idea that, (laughs) you know, know, you're obviously, you were very, and still are, but back then, very basketball focused. You talked about the Air Force One being performance for you, but do you remember the feeling of wanting a pair of shoes to show out, not necessarily to play better in? Like Clark always says, it's all about being fresh and um, being the freshest, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You remember that feeling from when you were young? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's that's the whole basis of where'd you get those. You know, it's like uh, that's the reason why I made that the title of my book. And when I started um, customizing shoes in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, it was towards that goal of getting the response from someone who cared, from someone who really got it, you know, from someone that knew you had a rare pair of sneakers on in a, in a, in a color that was not available at stores, period, right? And so I was never the style conscious hip hop cat in the 70s and 80s that just wasn't me like i was a ball player like that's what defined me you know um i was a wallflower at parties i, I didn't break you know I, I wasn't popping you know i wasn't fresh and i have money you know my whole gear was all tournament shirts and tournament jackets and my varsity jacket from Lord Marion and you know, Central League champs. That's you know, I just whatever free b-ball gear I got or hand-me-downs I got, that's what I wore. It wasn't really until the 90s, uh, well, 1989 is when I started working at Def Jam. And now I'm out of college. Now I'm in 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 a like as deep of a hip-hop space as one could get. And then in 1990, I, I become a public figure by being a member of the Stretch and Bobito team or WKCR. At that point, there's a turnaround because now I have a little bit of money. Now I'm on stages. Now I'm being interviewed. You know, now I'm traveling. And then that's when, so I'm not young anymore. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm 24, 25 at that point. I'm born in 1966, you know, so I'm an adult, you know. Um, but that's that's when the idea of like, I, yeah, like, I'm not going to play ball right now. I'm going to club. And I think uh, one of my favorite moments of that ever was maybe 88 or 89. Whenever Special Ed, uh, I Got It Made came out, which is probably 89, I think. Um, 
and I had a pair of uh, Puma Sky LX, uh, which came out in 86, 87, I think. Yeah, 86, 87. Um, I had bought a pair white on white. Um, and what I did is I customized the entire upper. I painted it um, uh, like gold and I left the stripe white. Now, so we're talking about two years later, right? The Skylux didn't cross over. Um, it wasn't, you know, a hip hop shoe at all. You know, uh, Kenny Anderson wore, wore it at Malloy uh, during his stalwart high school days. Uh, Paul Pressey wore it in, a, uh, in the NBA for, for the Milwaukee Bucks, Terry Cummings, you know, had a couple of NBA. But basically it was like an under the radar, like similar to the Air Force One in 83. It was like, if you were a ball player, you knew about the Skylux and everybody else was like, it just didn't know. Anyway, I'm at paid. I'm at a club called Paydays, and I show up with MC Search. Um, we go backstage. Uh, you know, MC Search are the group they're base, and he introduces me to De La Soul, who's backstage. I don't know if De La Soul was performing that day or if we were all there to see Special Ed because, like, Special Ed, I got it made was like one of the biggest street records in the late '80s, like huge. Um, and it was at Irving Plaza, uh, you know. Anyway, I overhear, uh, I don't know which one of member of De La, maybe True Roy or maybe Paz. They're like, they, they say to search, they're like, yo, who's your man and where'd he get those? And they're pointing at my sneakers and I'm trying to play it cool. You know what I'm saying? Because like De La Soul in 89 B. <laughs> my god like yo they're huge you know what I'm saying like they are everything and special ed is everything and MC Search and Pete Nice you know they're about to get their due as well but not they're not there yet you know and they're pointing at my sneakers and being like yo where'd he get those <laughs> and yeah that, that was like the first like okay I, I think I'm doing something right you know, um, and yeah, but you know, one of the reasons why I got the opportunity to write the very first article in media history uh, about sneaker culture is because that rep that was growing downtown in the club scene and hip hop circles for my customized sneakers, because it wasn't just my Puma Sky Alex. You know, I have, I have customized a, a gang of like Air Force Ones um, in colors that were not available, you know, specifically because I wanted some, I wanted to crack people's skulls, you know, like it wasn't a game and I did, you know, I mean, I remember being on a train and the dude offered me $300, you know, for a pair in 1989, 90, that was completely unheard of. It takes two decades before, you know, sneakers are like valued that high, you know, um, but yeah, I was painting sneakers and I was nice with it. I'm grateful for that time, you know. Um, me and Clark didn't get tight till years later, but uh, you know, I knew who he was. I don't think he knew who I was yet, you know, but I was on the come up, you know, and then once me and Stretch got on the radio, then Clark and all of, you know, Clark like really inspired Stretch. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Clark's respect for me uh, went like, out of control when when where'd you get those dropped in 2003 
And I remember him coming to my crib with the book in his hand and saying, like, yo, 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 we were on my stoop. And I'll never forget that. He was like, you murdered it. You nailed it. You got everything right for a 27-year period, you know. He was like, you should have interviewed me, though. And I was like, yeah, I should have. <laughs> you know, but I didn't know I didn't know him in that era. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And, and most of the people I interviewed, um, you know, I met Clark like around 88, 89, you know. And so the era of people that I interviewed is like mostly like, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, people that I, I kind of came up with or who mentored me in that space. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I have to shout out that podcast again, Quest Podcast, because there was another episode where Steve Rifkin was on. He talked about exactly what we're talking about radio, you and Stretch, about how you and Stretch were the first ones uh, to play Mob Deep. And I think I assume it was Shook Ones. You can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but well, um, let, tell me, please. I'm, I'm, I imagine we were the first to play Shook Ones. I can't testify to that. I'm sure Stretch could, you know, because I was the host. Yeah, He was the DJ, right? Um, but it wasn't we had Mob Deep on our show when they were political prophets, when they were unsigned teenagers. Um, they came up uh, in 91. I don't have the exact date, but essentially uh, they were featured in the unsigned hype column uh, that Maddie C was editor of for the Source magazine, which was the Bible uh, publication at the time. And uh, we had a great relationship where, you know, if tame and elder sensei came to our show and you know cracked the mic open i tell maddie like yo you got to be on the lookout for these kids and then you know they would show up in in the the column as that's them they later you know became known as artifacts you know or big l big l the mac you know uh or puppets of chaos or you know whoever and then you know he would be like yo there's an artist named biggie you guys got you guys gotta have them on a radio show you know yeah i got these these kids named political prophets from qb you gotta have them on the radio show and so you know me and maddie we worked a block away from each other i was at 652 broadway at def jam and he was at 590 whatever at the source you know he was just below uh houston i was just above houston and so i go to his office listen to demos he come to my office listen to demos and we it was just all love you know and um yeah so that's how to how to uh unless Unless I'm missing something, because I know Stretch was was dear to political prophets as well. Um, but to my recollection, that's how they came up to the show. Um, and, uh, you know, for those who don't know, like Nas, Biggie, Wu-Tang, uh, LP. I mean, you know, there's a lot of artists. Uh, Big L that came up to our show, Big Pun, you know, that when they were just unsigned, unsigned teenagers, you know. And so, yeah, uh, thank you, Steve Rifkin, for remembering and recognizing that. Um, but yeah, we probably were the first to play Shook Ones as well because we had a great relationship with uh, Steve's um, team, you know, who would drop off test pressings and demos and promos to our show. Well, that's why I brought it up because I see a parallel between, you know, where'd you get those sneakers and where'd you get that demo or that tape that be the mm -hmm. first one. And I imagine early in the early days it wasn't so conscious you guys were just doing it guys were coming in and you guys were just trying to stay afloat and keep the no there was going. there was a no i mean there was a conscious effort to be to to present music that no one else had right that's what i want to know like that was that was deliberate was, right so that was it, that was deliberate what wasn't was, deliberate yeah. what wasn't deliberate was you know nas and biggie and wu-tang becoming you know the 
seminal artists of the decade and and you know big l and jay-z freestyle like blown, we, we didn't know that, that was going to happen that wasn't planned like that just happened we were just doing what we were doing but weekly we spent hours you know trying to find the best demos the best unreleased material the best album cuts you know the best uh live performers to come up to the show um that took a lot of effort that was highly curated that show don't it wasn't just happenstance that, you know, we created a uh, an invite, you know, to the cream of the crop, you know, whether it was signed or not. And, you know, that that beacon was seen and heard and, and attractive for people to come up, you know, because there wasn't a lot of avenues for unsigned artists at that time to get heard, you know, on public broadcast, you know, coming out of New York. So... We happened to be in the right place at the right time for a lot of the artists, you know. Yeah, and it became a regular thing for you guys to have these debut artists on the show, mm -hmm. reveal them to the public for the first time to your listeners. Did you know it was a big deal sometimes more than others if someone came in? Or do you have to hear them? Was that, was that what did it? Or did someone come in the door and you say, okay, you know, this is going to be... I mean, I, I'm going to recommend... I'm going to re recommend to everybody who's listening to watch all three films of mine. Yeah. First one is Doing It in the Park, Pick Up Basketball, NYC. The last one was Rock Rebel 45s, which is my autobiographical documentary. But the middle one is Stretching by Beto Radio that changed lives, which is probably of the three, the most seen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it describes in detail what you're asking. Um, and, uh, you know, there was certainly a an aura around Nas and around Eminem that like we we knew they were going to blow up, you know. But just the same, there was an aura around OC and Cage and, you know, I mean, you know, I could name like 30, 40, 50 artists that didn't blow up that they would come to the show and, oh my God, she's incredible. Like, he's incredible, you know. Um, and they didn't see that that's what made the show exciting because people would come up and, and destroy it. And you'd be like, yo, like, is this going to be the next platinum artist? I mean, well, actually, no, because at that time, people weren't going platinum. You know, it was like, right. you know, selling gold was like a big deal. There's half a million copies, 500,000. Um, so, yeah, now nah, we couldn't have predicted it. Yeah, I know you got to go. Last thing I want to ask you, because you mentioned you requested a couple sneakers are you excited about new things either new or retros i saw air trainer one retro coming out soon i got me excited but it doesn't happen that much did you just want like some new shoes to hoop in did you want to try them are you are you more picky then or, or are you still you know like to like to try out the new tech and things like that um i don't know where i am in the space i mean you know certainly like letting go of all my shoes uh felt good and felt like the right thing to do um you know i'm not on the blogs you know trying to research what the latest releases are i'm not on StockX or sneakers you know looking at uh you know the resale value of shoes or anything like that um it's really just functionality at this point it's like you know i mean and i'm not i'm not doing any in-person appearances you know I live in, a, in, a, in an immunocompromised household. So during this whole pandemic, I've just been straight virtual. I'm not out at a club or out in front of, you know, 20,000 people DJing at a festival. You know, I'm just home. So the impetus to have 
the fresh pair that no one else has, it's meaningless right now. Because, you know, I mean, during this interview, I have my socks on. <laughs> it's like, you know, um, and so again, like, as I try to teach my son the difference between want and need, I have to inflect that, you know, invert that upon myself. But, you know, do I, do I need new sneakers? Do I want new sneakers? You know, I needed new sneakers. My Kyrie uh, fives were hurting my feet. I'm 56 years old. I go hard. I jump rope. I run sprints. I do drills. I shoot jumpers. You know, I'm doing this all, all 100% on asphalt. I need sneakers that have great cushioning, going to perform well, going to protect my knees, protect my ankles, you know. So that's where my head is at. And, you know, I don't want to say, like, I'll never go back to being that dude that's excited or, or um, you know, cutting edge with what I wear. Uh, but at this moment right now, you know, while parenting doesn't mean that much to me, you know, especially like I remember like, you know, early on, my son was a toddler and he's stepping on my joints, you know, and we'd be in a playground and it's dirty and it's muddy. And, it, you know, it's like, I'm trying to introduce him to nature. And now we, you know, we in the grass and we in the, in the, in the baseball field and sand, you know, my sneakers is getting dogged up left and right. So, you know, it's like, you know what time it is, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's not it's not the time for that when he's older you know and maybe when the pandemic has passed and i'm back out there you know maybe i'll use uh, you'll have me in on the back on the pod because i'll be like yo i just got these joints in tokyo that nobody has or <laughs> you know but for now that's not important to me and i hate you know it's like I, I know i disappoint people when i tell them that because i've been this sort of integral figure for the movement since 1990 you know as a public figure that's like like a game changer you know i have directed i've curated a culture you know whether whether you know it or not you know i've consulted campaigns i've consulted sneaker design i've consulted tinker hatfield mark smith you know aaron cooper like the heavyweights of nike you know tinker did the jordans you know aaron did the pippins mark smith came you know invented the uh the nike kitchen you know, these are dudes that were coming to New York in the 90s and like sit with me for hours and with a bag, like, yo, what do you think of these? Like, give me feedback. You know, they fly me to Beaverton and I'm going to, you know, the offices. I'm not taking credit for their designs, but I know that that whether people know those stories or not, like I have been shaping the culture, you know, for decades now. You know, my sneaker book was unprecedented. My article, Confessions of a Sneaker Addict in the Source, was un I invented sneaker journalism. You know, I opened the first modern day sneaker boutique, Footwork. I mean, what people may recognize it, people may talk about it, or they may not. You know, Complex, uh, they wrote a dope article that they, they put my, my shop like number one when they had like a big list. And, you know, so I mean, you know, I'm, I'm appreciative when people recognize or when they know. But, you know, a lot of stuff I did was under the radar. So um, I encourage everybody to watch Rock Rubber 45s. There's an autobiographical documentary. It's it, um, 90 minutes long. There's a lot of, lot of contributions to the sneaker space that I've done contained in that narrative. And I highly encourage any dads out there with, you know, children ages seven, seven and up to read my new book because there's, there's a little sneaker appearance in that book as well that's going to you know warm people's heart if they get it you know it's, it might go over most people's heads 
Uh, yeah, it's titled Aim High, Little Giant, Aim High. You can go to aimhighlittlegiant.com uh, to cop the book. Again, aimhighlittlegiant.com, spelled just like it sounds. You know, and uh, yeah, man, you know, it's it's I'm 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 grateful for the all the opportunities and platforms that I've been able to to express myself. You know, this summer's been crazy. I, I did Nike uh, NYC um interview uh they they um they had that on their ig it had like i don't know, like 80 90 000 views or something or 100 000 um handles reached it was crazy damn you on nike sneakers twice this year you know 2021 virgil abloh interviewed me before he died you know that was on his uh podcast and uh i think i think that's the last interview he did. You know, we played records. If you go on his uh, social media, like you'll, you'll find a link to it. So yeah, I mean, I you know, here I am, you know, on the Sneaker Dad's podcast. It's like people still care to, to hear what I have to say. And I'm I'm very humbled and very grateful for that. So I want to thank you for having me as a guest. Thank uh, you. Salute. I got to really make sure that my, my shorty rock is... Uh, is doing what he's supposed to do. I know you can identify. I got to do the same thing. So yeah, I appreciate yeah. all the time. Yeah. And I know the listeners appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks for doing it again. Look forward to doing it again sometime in the future. And uh, all the best and good luck. All right, peace.